Welcome to Midwretched, the home of the most heartless of the heartland. Join us, Tommy and Mick, as we share the best true crime tales the Midwest has to offer. Squeak in that box spring. <laughs> there will be no boning in this episode. Well. Didn't he bone? We're going to find out. Ooh, exciting. Welcome to Midwretched and our Ed Geek <gasps> extraordinaire. You just introed. <gasps> I introed. Oh my gosh. Because you just led me in there with the, with the geen boning. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Well, yay. Now I can truly sit back because that was always that's my like big moment of the evening. So now I just get to chill and react. I'm very excited about this. This is like literally the highlight of my week is this today. So I think it was the highlight of my partner's week, too, because I got to put away all the Ed Gein books. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I bet you really. (laughs) Because there's dark and then there's Ed Gein dark. There's crime scene photo dark. Yeah, those are pretty rough. Yeah. Yeah. So, so. here we are <laughs> on Midwretched talking about probably one of the darkest cases I can think of. Yeah, it's pretty bad. I mean, like right now, I, you know, we did Sean Hornbeck. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple episodes ago. So I've been really thinking a lot about like, other cases of kidnapped kids that end up back home. And so I just read this book about the Stephen Stainer case in California where mm-hmm. he was abducted and then abused for seven years. And then he aged out of his abuser's taste and he kidnapped the guy, kidnapped another little boy. And he just couldn't stand the idea of watching another little boy go through that. So he hitchhiked him across the mountains of California to get him to a police station. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty incredible story. Okay. Um, And then his brother, so the Stephen is the boy that was kidnapped. His brother is also a serial killer. What? Yeah. Can I borrow this book when you're done? Yeah. Um, And I knew about both cases in isolation and never connected the last names. I mean, I wouldn't either. Like, even if I realized that they were the same, I wouldn't assume. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, but like the book really uh, has affected me deeply. And even though nobody dies, just the degree of the abuse is so dark. It's just interesting how many different ways something can be dark and devastating, right? Yeah. I've I've been, uh, since I finished this story, I've been working on another kind of more long-term project that I've mentioned it to you, has weird intercorrelations with my family. Yeah. So even that level of darkness has been just really odd to think about, like how it affected just different the different sides of my family. So yeah, and then when you can when it hits that close to home, you can start to see why mm-hmm. why did you know great uncle so and so act a certain way or whatever. Exactly, yeah. it's so strange. Yeah, but today, well, before we get into it, any updates? I don't think so. It is so cold in the Midwest right now. Other Midwesterners, my heart goes out to you, especially like I'm not going to try to put on the pretense that I'm some like <laughs> proof Midwesterner. 
don't know. I don't understand the ones that don't wear coats. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I don't, and then I hate myself for it. But I'm always all like, yay, winter, I'm so excited, until we get to about February 1. And then I'm just like, I hate literally everything. February is like when it stops being fun. Yeah, yeah, party's over. Even though there are many wonderful things in February that I love, including your birthday. Your baby girl's birthday. birthday. Yes, she will be three years old. Oh, so I guess can I if I can tell a story about her real quick. Yes, obviously. So speaking of the cold. So a couple nights ago, I'm getting her ready for bed and everything. And she, like me, prefers to sleep um, as close to nature as possible. (laughs) (laughs) And then put on about eight zillion blankets. I have like an electric blanket and then I put a fur blanket on top and I'm just like a I'm sure my body temperature goes up like eight degrees and I'm probably going to die as a result of this, but I don't think I care. I kind of love it though. Yeah, it's awesome. So I am getting her ready for nighttime and um, her room has a little bit of a drafty window. So I was putting these like fur lined pants on her and she's like, I don't want pants. (laughs) And you're going to love this. I said, well, what if you get cold? And she just, gives me this like steely look and she goes what if i get not cold mommy <laughs> and i i, I, I she died. just turned 17 in that moment i know i thought about it for a minute and i'm like wait no we're the same person so of course you want to sleep with your little butt out with 47 blankets on like fair enough <laughs> like more power like, to you good point three-year-old you know what and it was a good point so yeah i laugh she's a good midwesterner Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have had just like a community snow shoveling engagement today. So it was very nice and exhausting. And you know, when you get to the point of like shoveling snow that you're just down to like your leggings and a hoodie. Because you've generated enough of your own heat to be like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So everybody in the alley was participating. Aw, you yeah. had a little alley get together. Was, it was. But, yeah. Well, so uh, I don't know how to segue that to Ed Gein. Did he, was he born in the winter? Let me bring up my notes. No, he was born in August. He's a Leo. Really? No, he's a Virgo. Oh, damn it. Yeah. Too late in August. Damn it. You know, a lot of serial killers are Virgos, which I am also, but I'm not a serial killer. How do we know that? How do you know that? I don't know that. I mean, are there other, like, pint-sized, extremely loud, annoying serial killer ladies out there? I don't know. A pint-sized? Ed Gein? I'm just going to put it out there. I could take Ed Gein in a fight. Fucking no questions asked. Oh, is he a little guy? 5'7", 140 pounds. Oh, so he's still many inches taller than me, but okay. Oh, well, I got fucking size on him. <laughs> you do you do listen i'm just saying i could take ed Gein in a fight i think you probably could i think you probably could so so anyway tell me what you know about mr ed Gein. okay well i know that he is a serial killer from wisconsin i think he was mm, 40s was he operational in the 40s 50s 60s is that what it was 50s 50s um and he is really really gruesome he 
I don't know to what degree we'll talk about some of the scenes, but I'm sure we'll have to, um, especially when they found his house and whatnot. But mm-hmm. very prolific serial killer. I don't know what his, his count is, but I'm sure it's pretty high. Also a grave robber. Yes. And his gruesome artifacts are reference material for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre's villain Leatherface. I know that. One of my favorite. I know. It's so good. And that his predilection for making clothing out of his victims was also the inspiration for Buffalo Bill Another in Sounds favorites. of the Lambs. I mm-hmm. know. Like top five favorites. Mm-hmm. So he was a really uh, gruesome, awful person, but I think he's also somebody at this point. We've talked about like, okay, like Ed Gein is a story that you hear over and over and over again. And I actually was reflecting on that today. And I don't know how true that is anymore. Like, I think the tides have shifted in true crime mm-hmm. that I haven't heard anyone talk about him recently. I feel like he was somebody yeah. that I read about a lot when I was like a teenager. Yeah, I think he's everybody's kind of, not everybody's, but a lot of people's kind of introduction to true crime because he's so extreme. And because of like the pop culture part that you kind of alluded to, I mean, he inspired three of the greatest villains of all time. Leatherface, Buffalo Bill, and Norman Bates. Oh, oh. Yeah. Because of Mother. Mm. Like, no, very direct inspiration. (laughs) Yeah. But so much of him is misinformed. Even So the very first point you made was that he was a very prolific serial killer. Am I wrong? You are. Really? Based on facts that we have, setting speculation aside, he only has two kills. Really? Yes. Oh, that is interesting. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was kind of why I find him so interesting. Mm. So much myth and so much, like, assumption about him. Interesting. So today we learn the truth of Ed Gein. I will say, I did my damnedest to find firsthand sources and timely sources. So the newspaper mm-hmm. articles of the time. Sorry, mom, about your newspaper.com. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's getting weird, real weird again, Donna. Real Sorry. weird. <laughs> <laughs> but because I wanted to know, like, what is actually honest and mm-hmm. where did some of these kind of myths come from? Mm-hmm. And some of them come from reporters and even policemen and investigators at the time making off-the-cuff comments mm-hmm. that then got woven into this bigger mythology. Well, that's always good. Yeah. Mm. So one of the other things that I want to kind of start off this series by saying is there's a lot of speculation about Ed Gein and who he was and why he did what he did and speculation that Perhaps he belonged to certain populations. There's speculation that he was trans, that he was gay, that he was schizophrenic, that he was autistic. Mm. And while I think that addressing some of that as we go through is going to be important, like it's very important to understanding him. I also want to be able to do that without stigmatizing any of those populations. Yeah, for sure. Because... It's not a direct cause of why he did any of what he did. Yeah. So I want to put that out there and we're going to kind of explore some of these 
potential identities that everybody kind of like throws around mm. when they talk about who Ed Gein was and why he did what he did. Interesting. So, okay. So, important question. Mm-hmm. Was he an INTP? I don't know. Damn it. <laughs> he probably was. No, no. He was definitely an F. Mm-hmm. Probably an INF. Mm. I might say an INFJ. Really? Mm. Introvert me. I don't like it. Well, I don't think he has much else in common with you. That's good. <laughs> 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 Wow. Ooh, that's, okay. a, that's a big old relief. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Uh, so we're going to dive into Ed Gein. Do but it. But before we even start, we have to talk about his family okay. and where the fuck he came from. Because as my favorite graduate school professor used to say, it is all about the foo, the family of origin. So we're going to talk first about his mother, who clearly, even the most cursory research on Ed Gein is going to talk about this weird relationship that he had with his mother. And it was weird. <laughs> like I said, this is going to be a deep dive. So settle in, friends. Yes, lay it on me. I'm comfortable. I have my lumbar support pillow. Okay. So Ed Gein's mother was Augusta Wilhelm Lurk. She was born in 1878 to German immigrants who settled in La Crosse, Wisconsin from Germany Mm. during a time that was known as the Old Lutheran Exodus from Germany. Mm. Okay. So we are doing a deep dive because this part is important and this part kind of gets left out quite a bit. Her family was a member of the Old Lutherans, which is essentially an extremely conservative Christian doctrine. Interesting. And I really mean extremely conservative. They believed in complete deprivation from all sin. Hmm. They were fatalist in their view. One of their tenets was there is no avoiding of sin. Although you should always try, it is impossible to avoid sin and you're just a bad person. And that no matter what you do... You can't earn God's forgiveness. God has chosen a select few people to enter the kingdom of heaven, and you can't do anything to change that. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that that is what their belief system was, because that's not congruous with Lutheranism as we know it today, by any means at all. Exactly. They are dissenters of mm. what is kind of came to be the more popular Lutheran doctrine. Got it. They believe that every human deed is full of sinful motivation. Mm. And every human will receive damnation. Cool, cool. So salvation is only through God and scripture, and you should dedicate your life to studying God and scripture, even though it doesn't matter. Right. So even if you do, you still could be screwed. Yeah. Wow. And even if you do, they believe that all things are preordained. Mm. And again, only people that God has already determined will be accepted into the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's depressing. That is incredibly depressing. So all of these folks, they left Germany. Yes. To come to La Crosse, okay. Wisconsin. Got it. Okay. Hi, La Crosse. What up? So probably if we went out there, we would see some really interesting history about that community. Probably. I've been to La Crosse, but I've never, like, explored it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've been there, too, but I don't know yeah. anything about this. 
Well, we do have to figure out what our next, uh, our annual Midwretched Road Trip is going to be. Yeah, now we're going to be vaccinated. That's right. But yeah, apparently uh, Wisconsin at one point had a decent population of old Lutherans who came from Germany. Hmm. Now, Augusta came from a pretty large family of either six or eight children. I saw it kind of cited as both. Mm. The family was said to be extremely strict, extremely hardworking, and extremely rigid in their beliefs. So every tenant they followed to a T. They were also massively patriarchal. Uh. The father was to be seen as the pillar of masculinity. Ew. To be domineering over the home. Gross. And apparently Augusta's father was exactly this. He was described as loud, threatening, and physically abusive. Hmm, that's awful. And according to one of our favorite crime writers, Harold Schechter. <gasps> I love Harold Schechter. How oh my god, he wrote he wrote one of the best books on that's this. Awesome. Schechter reported that she was subjected to regular beatings by her father. Oh wow. But that she absolutely adored him. Mm. That he was the pinnacle of what a human being should be. Interesting. Just domineering, controlling, his thumb on everything. She thought that this is what every man should be. Hmm. Now, Augusta herself was described as thick-set and buxom. Her description reminds me so much of like the same way that Belle Gunness was described. Yeah, it's not immediately like an image of her flash into my head, actually. Yeah, she's described as having a broad, coarse face permanently fixed with a look of fierce determination and complete self-assurance. Hot. (laughs) (laughs) Less hot was the fact that she saw everyone else around her except herself and her father to be flagrantly immoral and look down upon them. Interesting. And this was how she grew up. Her family were farmers and a few of her brothers became entrepreneurs. So they owned a couple of stores and whatnot throughout the area of La Crosse. Got it. So that's Augusta in her background. Hmm. That is Mama Ed Gein. Got it. Mother as we might call her. Mother, yeah. Mother. Now let's talk about Father Gein. Yes, please. Father Gein, George Gein, Mm. was born August 4th, 1873. So he was a Leo, I think. Yes. Okay, see. (laughs) Good job, me. Um, (laughs) You're learning. You're becoming one of us. I'm not becoming one of you. I'm just learning. What's his moon, though? Crescent. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it matters what your moon phase was when you were born, but continue. So whatever the moon phase was on August 4th, 1873, that was his phase, um, he was born to German and Scottish immigrants, Mm. Um, and he grew up in Coon Valley, Wisconsin, which is about 15 miles outside of La Crosse. His parents were also farmers, big, you know, theme of Wisconsin life in the 1800s. And the now hundreds, too. And the now hundreds. He had one older sister. However, there's not too much known about his parents or his sister because they actually all died when he was three years old. Oh, my gosh. How tragic. Yeah. So the family was apparently traveling to either sell crops or purchase supplies. I don't 
know which one it was, but apparently it was a trip that they couldn't put off for whatever reason. So they loaded up their buckboard cart, which if you look up a picture of it, is very rickety looking. Mm. Does not stand up to a lot of weathering. And they traveled toward the Mississippi River. Mm. George was left behind because he was so young and because apparently they knew that the weather was supposed to be pretty bad. Was he just like with a babysitter or like an aunt and uncle or something? It seems like he was either with an aunt and uncle or with grandparents. Yeah. Yeah. And the weather did apparently get really bad. Somewhere near Vernon County, Wisconsin, there was a flash flood that tipped over the cart and resulted in the drowning deaths of all three family members. Wow. That is so sad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So George was taken in by his grandparents. Mm -hmm. All indications were that he lived a pretty typical life for the time. Mm-hmm. Not too much information. He finished elementary school and went on to apprentice as a blacksmith. But at some point in his 20s, he decided to move to the big city, yeah. Lacrosse. Ooh. <laughs> a city of sin, apparently. Ooh, I bet. And although he was trained and worked as a blacksmith, it is largely reported that he was not great at keeping a job. Oh, Um, he seemed to be really good at getting jobs because kind of from the outside, he's described as having this very formal demeanor. Mm. He's said to have kind of carried himself like a minister. Hmm. But all of that hid what was an increasingly severe alcohol problem. Oh, snap. Snap. So basically what would happen is he would charm his way into getting a job. He worked in everything from blacksmithing to tanning, carpentry. He worked at a power plant for a while. He worked the Milwaukee-Chicago Railway. But each time he would kind of show a poor performance, stop showing up, or show up inebriated. Yikes. And then would be jobless in the end. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that is Mr. George Gein. Hmm. We're seeing like a, a little rumblings of a happy marriage and a happy family. Oh, for sure. Coming totally. together. Yeah. yeah totally. I want to know how they met. Apparently, George Gein seems to have known Augusta's family through some business that her brothers owned. Mm. So George was technically a member of the Lutheran Church, mm-hmm. although not nearly as devoted as Augusta. <laughs> much less strict much less involved and he came to know her through her brother's businesses exactly what these two saw in each other we can only speculate (laughs) (laughs) i mean he sounds like he had some charisma to him and that's one theory, like one speculation that he kind of did that, like, I'm calm and cool and charming kind of thing. The other theory is that Augusta saw how weak he was, just oh, like weak willed and weak charactered. And she could mother. Exactly. And she knew that she could overpower him and oh, she could domineer him. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm with it. It does appear she either wasn't aware of the drinking at all or wasn't aware of how severe it was. Mm. George 
People kind of say maybe he was attracted to Augusta's confidence, her practicality. Her rockin' body, it sounds like. (laughs) It's also kind of speculated that maybe he liked the idea of being part of a big family. Hmm. And there was yeah, this, that little yeah. marshmallow inside of him that wanted that, this big family. I mean, he lost his. Like, that makes sense, actually. I've known people that have kind of intentionally sought that, like yeah. a, a spouse with a big family to kind of take the place of that, you know? Yep. Yeah. So they married December 4th, 1899. Mm. And things immediately go downhill. Oh, boy. His drinking is basically out of control at this point. He basically screams and yells in the morning, goes out to the bar, comes home, and abuses her. Oh, no. She responds by abusing him back. Oh, my. So essentially kind of the way that it seems like each and every day kind of played out is she would start off by verbally and emotionally abusing him, telling him how weak and pathetic and useless he is. He would freeze her out, literally go days without speaking to her. Wow. Go out to the bar, get drunk, come home, beat her. She would just scream and yell insults, and he would just kind of be flailing at her, Mm. and she would be screaming, telling him how useless he was and all of that. And then at some point they get tired and he stops and she falls onto the floor in these just like histrionic, loud prayers, begging for for him to be saved and forgiven by God. Oh, my goodness. And that's what their marriage was. Wow. Okay. So when did baby Ed Gein burst out of the situation? (laughs) So, baby Ed Gein didn't come until later. First, Henry Gein was born on January 17th, 1902. Okay. And apparently, Augusta was immediately upset when he was born. Interesting. Because she wanted a daughter. She believed that men are evil and inherently bad and awful and that girls are pure and worthy of love. Wow. Okay, so she was just, like, really not emotionally prepared to have anything but a daughter. She was not whatsoever. Interesting. So, to kind of placate her, they agree to the, quote, loathsome duty one more time. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) That is literally how it is described. Buddies. It's not supposed to be like that. (laughs) (laughs) oh no so she agrees to the loathsome duty one more time in order to get a daughter and that's where we get our lovely little Ed Gein jeez born August 27th 1906 with his little Virgo self wow Mm -hmm. so did she flip yeah Mm -hmm. dang and this is where so many of the myths begin. Okay. So what do we think is the relationship between the way that she idolized her father versus completely being devastated by having sons? 
I think it was because they were George's sons. Mm. I think she saw George as weak. Yeah. And George as useless. And therefore, her sons would be the same. Okay. So it, it felt to her like a little, like they were all George prototypes, basically. Yes. And that's actually one of the things that she would say as they got older is you're no better than your father. You're useless. Nobody will ever love you. That sort of thing. It's also interesting, and it kind of comes up a little bit later. They describe it as a family trait in the Lurk family that the men don't get married. The men just grow old and live alone. Interesting. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So other than her own father. Yeah. But her brothers never married. Hmm. So, little Ed bursts on the scene, and Augusta flips her fretter. Augusta hated him. Wow. Hated him. She said that she refused to raise another monster of a man. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And what what's interesting is that, although we'll never know exactly, it seems like she was a little bit more humane to Henry than she was to Ed. That was my other question. Did they get the same treatment? And this could be, you know, a bunch of different systemic things. The fact that Henry was older, the fact that Henry might have just had a couple of more opportunities. Augusta may very well have treated Ed differently. It's said that she did encourage him to be more effeminate. We don't really know. But what's also interesting is when we talk about those those systemic things and what made Henry and Ed different... Ed was also born with a growth. It's called a tumor, but it was benign that hung over one of his eyes. Oh, wow. Um, so when you look at pictures of him, this one eye kind of looks a little bit like folly down like that. Mm-hmm. He also went on to develop a cyst on his tongue. Oh, wow. So he was partially blind and could not speak very well. Mm. So <sighs> everything is against this boy. Yeah, and if mom is in the business of calling them, like, monstrosities or monstrous, Mm -hmm. it doesn't help to have physical ailments. Yeah, exactly. Especially right out of the gate, so to speak. Yeah, he was always kind of described as awkward, absent-minded, effeminate. A lot of different sources say that he was lazy. Again, there's a lot of weight that goes with calling somebody lazy, and I don't know if it was pure actual laziness. Mm, yeah. But similarly to how Augusta adored her abusive father, Ed idolized his mother. Interesting. Idolized her. Literally saw her as next to God. Like mm. infallible perfection. Wow. And she did her job of ensuring that he saw her that way. Yeah. And so he's going to spend his childhood just trying to please her. In any way he knows how. Kind of was said that he was never enough for her. He never would be, and by no fault of his own. Wow. So, like, there's one story that goes around a lot and is in a lot of the sources about Ed when he was about seven years old. His mom gave him money to go to the store and to buy bread. Now, he wasn't going far. It was, like, the equivalent of a block or two. Mm-hmm. But along the way, like a seven-year-old, because they lose their nose if it's not attached, managed to lose the money. Oh, no. 
And apparently he just stood there frozen on a street corner for a long time is what it sounds like. And when he finally kind of mustered up the courage to go home and tell Augusta, she just screamed at him and belittled him, told him he was no good, he was worthless. Let me see if I can pull out my uh, my Norman Bates voice for this one. <laughs> you dreadful child! Only a mother can ever love you! <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Thank you. I've been actually. Yeah. <laughs> I bet you have. <laughs> I told you it was one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I know. It's so good. One of mine, too. But that was kind of his daily life. Wow. So this is going to be one of those stories where you have this like weird push pull of I feel sorry for him. And also what a monster. So as I was like researching this and I was researching his childhood, I couldn't help but feel so bad for him yeah and really like relate to him in such a way that like i know this kid yeah for sure i've seen this kid in my office Mm -hmm. and i just want to go and like hug him and be like it's gonna be okay we're gonna help you and yeah you're gonna live a normal life yeah yeah and i just want him to be able to cry (laughs) yeah yeah and not be berated and belittled and dehumanized and Mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's this weird push pull of like i know where the story's going Mm -hmm. but i don't like the road Mm -hmm. and it's kind of the road's fault yeah it's entirely the road's fault he's one person that i'm like you didn't have to be this way yeah yeah he could have and now that i know he really doesn't have that many kills behind him It really could have gone a very different way, potentially. One of the things that I think is really interesting, and this isn't spoilers, if you know. I feel like there's no spoilers when it comes to Ed Gein. (laughs) He's been out in the public eye for so long. Um, But he didn't start killing until he was in his, like, 40s or 50s. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting, too. So was Augusta also physically abusive with him, or just the yelling and screaming and horribleness? She was physically abusive as well, as was George. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So both parents are pretty physically abusive. God. Okay. Poor Gein babies. Well, and meanwhile, the family is struggling really pretty badly financially because George Mm. still can't keep a job. They're still in uh, lacrosse at this point. So in 1909, Augusta took it upon herself to open a grocery store. Hmm. Her brothers had local businesses. She felt like she had learned enough from them that she could do it too. Yeah. So the store opens and initially George is listed on the deed as the owner because it's 1909. Yeah. But what I think a whole lot changes. As you can say from your recent homeowner's inspection. Oh my I'm so I'm still so annoyed by that. I'm still mad at yeah, I'm still mad for you too. So but I, I think that this part's really interesting. When they opened the store, George is listed as the owner. But within two years, the public papers Switch it and list Augusta as the owner and George as just a clerk. Dang. Damn, Augusta. <laughs> yeah. And also, way to throw some shade, lacrosse newspaper <laughs> from 1909 or whatever. I love that. Uh, it's so funny. 
So it was very clear to the community that it was Augusta's store. But she made it really successful. Within just a few years, they had saved up enough money to buy a large dairy farm about 40 miles east of the house. So they did make a ton of money. They made a ton of money really fast. And then they basically sold it because Augusta decided that lacrosse was full of sin and villainy. It's a wretched hive of scum mm. and villainy. Cool. That's our next vacation. <laughs> <laughs> so she moved the family initially to a dairy farm about 40 miles east of Lacrosse, But mm. she decided that wasn't far enough. Mm. She wanted the family completely isolated. Got it. So in 1914, they sold the dairy farm and moved even further out to Plainfield, which is about 110 miles east of La Crosse. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So is, are, are there any decent-sized cities out there? Not really. Gotcha. Beautiful country, I'm sure. Beautiful country, but at the time, apparently, it was a very bad investment because apparently the soil there was awful. Oh, interesting. Okay. Very sandy, basically mm-hmm. impossible to have a thriving farm on. Wow. But she didn't know that. Mm. I don't think she knew that. I don't think she cared. Yeah. I think that yeah. she just wanted the isolation. Yeah. that was, Her aim was not a profitable farm. Yeah, No, it, it wasn't. She didn't care about profit. She cared about isolating her family. That is so, so classic abuse. What I think is really interesting is, again... There's no spoilers when it comes to Ed Gein, but a lot of people speculate, and we'll talk about his psych report, about schizophrenia. Mm. Looking at, like, his mother's erraticness, yeah. I wonder what her mental health was like. Yeah, for sure. Like, she had these obsessions, and yes, they were religiously fueled, but we also know that delusions and hallucinations and paranoia is informed by something. Yeah, for sure. So I just, that's entirely speculation on my side of things. That's interesting, though, because, yeah, like the fuel there is the religion. Mm -hmm. Maybe that pours the gas on, but what's the match, right? Like, yeah, what's going on underneath that made her this way and not like all of her siblings? Yes, the old Lutherans were pretty extreme in their beliefs. Mm. I don't know if they were all like Augusta. Yeah. Yeah, she had something else going on. She had to. So the family buys a 195-acre farm. Oh, no. Meaning serious isolation. Yeah. Apparently, though, the house was pretty grand. Mm -hmm. Like, pretty extravagant. It had a formal sitting area and a formal parlor. Ooh. um, A very large kitchen and six bedrooms. Dang. I know. And outside, it had a shed that served as a summer kitchen. Oh, cool. With a stove and a butchering area. That's going to come into play. no. (laughs) Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, now I I remember some things. (laughs) Oof. Okay. Apparently, Augusta was pretty meticulous about this. She was a very prideful woman and a little kind of obsessive in her cleaning habits. That sounds on brand. Yeah, pretty on brand. Okay. So how's life on the farm in Plainfield? Pretty secluded, pretty isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a small town in Plainfield of about 600 people. Okay. 
which also meant that Henry and Ed got to go to school. Oh, well, that's always good. Yeah, it was a very small little, like, one-room schoolhouse. Yeah. About 12 other children. Wow. Which you would think would be a good thing for little Ed. Mm-hmm. But he kind of still stood out for being awkward and feminine and Ed Gein. Interesting. And kind of in terms of social skills throughout his life, Ed would kind of just, I don't think he knew what to do. He was so isolated. He would just try to imitate people Mm. and just kind of try to copy and say what they did. God, do we all know that kid or what, man? I know. This is what I'm saying. Like, this is the kid that sits in my office and I'm like, buddy. Yeah, I know. I've had, I think I could think of probably one every year. You know, he wanted to connect with people, but for mm-hmm. him, that meant like just kind of staring at them in a way that made them uncomfortable and telling awkward jokes. He was a smart kid, though. He did well academically. And this is kind of another myth that goes around that he was kind of dull witted or slow or intellectually yeah. disabled. No, like people talk about him as like a low IQ issue. Nope. I have his IQ scores. We'll talk about him next week. But nope. Wow. Okay perfectly cognitively intact i should say for his formal reasoning and kind of his crystallized intelligence those skills were all very intact Mm. now more of that social emotional intelligence Mm. that's a different story and yeah for sure (laughs) one thing that he really loved is he loved reading oh he loved kind of south seas adventures of the time cute So he loved reading about, quote-unquote, savage tribes and cannibalistic adventures and headhunters and witch doctors and... Cannibalistic adventures. Cool. Like I said, all delusions and paranoia and all of that is fed by something. Yeah. And for Ed Gein, this fantasy world was his escape. It was his everything. It was the only place that he could go and kind of shut everything else off. Yeah, and be somewhere else and be somebody else. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, he would just start telling people about all of these stories out of nowhere. Oh, oh my gosh. And so he would just start telling people these stories, even if they weren't interested, or he would start making jokes about these cannibals and about these witch doctors, and people would just kind of look at him like he was weird. Oh, Wow. So now on top of the isolation, the abuse, the physical differences, now let's add bullying on top of that. Yeah. He was bullied for his speech, for his eye, for his demeanor, for his awkward smile and poor social skills. Mm. And here's the thing. Every time he would start to connect with somebody, when somebody would kind of be like, oh, Ed, Eddie boy. He would go home and tell his mom, be like, oh, so-and-so said this to me, and I made so-and-so laugh. His mother would just start screaming at him. Oh. She would just insult Ed, insult the child, insult his family, saying that his family was disreputable, and why are you doing this to me? Why are you bringing this sin into our home? Good gracious. So he's then he's not even allowed to have a friend. He's not even allowed to have friends. Mm. So he would go back to school the next day and would avoid even looking at that child. 
Dang. This is rough. And throughout his life, it seemed that kind of boys and men were the cruelest to him. Mm. Any grade school boys always are, and they don't ever outgrow that, apparently. Jeez. They would, like, play pranks on him and jokes and tease him. They would tell him that he was too feminine. They would isolate Mm. him from the group. As he got older and he would be on, like, work crews and things like that, they would sneak rum into his coffee and just laugh at him for being drunk and, like, make a fool out of him all the time. Jeez, that's mean. Yeah. Now, the the girls and the women that he was around tended to at least kind of give him a little sympathy. Yeah. They would feel bad for him. They would offer him little treats, little food. As he would get older, they would invite him over for dinner. And even if he was kind of awkward and off-putting in his way, they would at least acknowledge he was very polite. He was very well-mannered. He tried so hard. Yeah. But they kind of pitied him. And I think that that's interesting because unintentionally, the whole community was validating everything his mother ever told him. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. He doesn't have any other, any competing influence in his head Mm -mm. at all. Yeah. Mm -mm. Even down to like men are awful because he's Mm -hmm. being, you know, repeatedly like abused by these men, basically. Men are evil and cruel and all of that. And the best you can ever get from a woman is pity. Like, wow. Yeah. No, he's being, wow. The world is confirming everything that Augusta said to him. Yep. Hmm. Hmm. So are we in his teenage years at this point? Um, we're about to get to the teenage years. We're actually going to go into a little pubescent story here. Okay. (laughs) Tell me how Ed Gein becomes a man. I'm literally going to. Oh my God. (laughs) That's a scary transition. I am so glad we're just vibing tonight. I know, right? It's a beautiful thing. (laughs) So when Ed was about nine years old or so, he heard some sounds coming from the summer kitchen. Oh boy. And he didn't really kind of know what his parents did out there. He was still young. So he kind of wanted to creep in and kind of sneak into the door and see what his parents are doing. And he spied on them and he found them slaughtering a hog. Oh. Hung up upside down, being bled. Yeah. Very gruesome, but also very common butchering scene, right? Yes, yeah, the whole deal. Some reports say that this was the first time he ever experienced an erection. Interesting. And the first time he experienced sexual arousal or sexual intrigue. Interesting. Are those sources anything that we can trust? It's from the Schechter book. There wasn't anything in it in the firsthand accounts from Ed Gein that I was privy to. But there was one book that I didn't read that was from the judge in his second court hearing. And I think it comes from those. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So at this time, Augusta apparently hears him make some kind of sound. I'll leave that one to your imagination. And she turns around and yells at him and screams at him to go back inside and get out of there. And then she follows him back inside and starts to beat him and demean him for disobeying her by coming into the shed. Oh, wow. Oh, boy. 
So if it is true that that was his like first experience of arousal, mm-hmm. now he has every reason to think of his own sexuality as something that is, you know, worth it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very, very worth beating. Mm-hmm. And it's not as if he wasn't getting those messages before. Right. Augusta reportedly would sit her sons down, both Ed and Henry, after school and make them pray and promise that they would remain uncontaminated by women. Mm. She insisted that they make a vow to her that they remain bachelors and in her care for their entire lives. Whoa. Interesting. No loathsome chores for them, I guess, huh? No loathsome duties for these boys. Hmm. Wow, so she really wanted them under her thumb. How Do we have any idea how Henry was doing with all this? I mean, he was the... He didn't have the same issues that Ed had, obviously, like physically or emotionally, mm-hmm. but he must have also been struggling. He was going through the same types of abuses, the same kind of, you must make a vow to me. He was mm. being additionally beaten and abused by George. But they were kind of the only, Ed and Henry were all each other had. Yeah. Henry is said to have been kind of more sociable. He was able to blend in more mm. with people. And for Whatever reason, Augusta seemed somewhat less domineering toward him. And he, I think part of this goes into like him being more sociable and more kind of socially accepted that he was less bought into her religious teachings. Got it. He was able to kind of see those outside views and those outside perspectives. So I think while he was subject to a lot of it, he was less vulnerable to it. Yeah, he was able to build a mental shield and have some other outlets there. Interesting. I'll also put it out there that Augusta was not well-liked in her community. What? No what? <laughs> She was apparently just as mean and openly judgmental to everyone in Plainfield. Dang. It didn't seem to bother her very much. <laughs> I would not guess that it would. Apparently, and I thought this was interesting, there was no Lutheran church in Plainfield. Hmm. Which to her meant she had no need for these peasants. Oh my gosh. Who would never be in, in the kingdom of God. So she never I was going to say, like, this entire scenario enforces her narrative anyway. Like, as special yeah. and singular as she can make herself seem, that's mm-hmm. to her benefit. Yeah. I have this opulent home and I have these boys that adore me and worship mm-hmm. me and I have no need for anyone else. Yeah. Which was entirely what Augusta wanted. That is fascinating. Also, not a good way to raise your children. No, frightening. Yeah, frightening. At age 16, so we're in our teens now, Mm -hmm. Ed left school and he had roughly an eighth grade education at this point. Okay. He continued reading, and his, but his kind of interests remained pretty stunted in those tribal adventure stories. Yeah. Very pulpy. Very pulpy. Which I find interesting if Augusta let that literature into her I had that question too, yeah. Because I've seen some of those pulp novels. Yeah, yeah. Or if like that was his one sneak. Yeah. Ed and Henry continued to work on the farm and take odd jobs around the town. Do you know what Ed was famous for in Plainfield before what he became famous for? (laughs) Uh, No, I don't. Babysitting. Really? He was a favorite babysitter in Plainfield. 
Interesting. Well, you know why? It's because he can tell all those stories to little kids. I bet little kids freaking loved him. Oh, yeah. They adored Hmm. him. And again, he's very emotionally stunted. And so one of the things that we'll talk about was he had a lot of friends that were like 12. And I, I genuinely don't think it was like a creepy pedophilia thing. Yeah, he was connecting. Interesting. It's very Sling Blade. Mm-hmm. In addition to babysitting, he was also uh, just a local carpenter, repair guy, kind of, you know, jack-of-all-trades kind of Caretaker, dude. yeah. Caretaker. Henry was considered the better worker of the two mm. and kind of the more comfortable person to be around. Yeah. But they tended to kind of come as a pair. Again, people didn't really seem to like Ed, but they kind of put up with him. He's described as odd, but polite and dependable, which is also how I tend to describe myself. Yeah, it really is. (laughs) (laughs) That's so interesting, though. He was awkward. He would kind of make inappropriate jokes when people died. Yeah, you do that. I do 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 that too often. I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, What I didn't do, though, was become obsessed with the atrocities of the Nazis. No, you did not. I did not. So, again, and I think it's just the way his brain worked. Like, he's like, oh, I'm German and the Nazis are German. So I want to see what the Nazis are doing. Mm. And one of the things that he kind of became very enamored by was the infamous lampshade of skin. Yeah. He became kind of very enamored by those types of atrocities that came out of Nazi Germany. And, okay, so he was born in 1906, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Yes. So, interesting. So he was in his 30s? Yes. So what you might be getting to is whether or not he w- he served or was in the war. In 1942, I believe, yeah, in 1942, he got called for the draft. Hmm. And he was rejected because of his eye and his poor vision. Sure, yeah. But for that, he had to travel to Milwaukee for the medical evaluation. That was the furthest he had ever been from home. Wow. That's pretty incredible. So we're in the 40s. The family farm is failing. The economy sucks. The soil is terrible. Mm. There's really nothing they can do about it. The house is starting to age and they couldn't afford a lot of the repairs. Mm. George is becoming more severe in his alcoholism and his abuse. Augusta's doing the same with her abuse and her religiosity. Yikes. In 1940, George Gein finally dies of a heart attack. Mm. The community did seem to mourn him a bit. That's interesting. I think people kind of knew his story. So despite his alcoholism, they felt bad. And I think they also felt bad because he had to be married to Augusta. Yeah. But also, she had to be married to him, so he was kind of trash. Yeah. The whole thing is interesting, and I keep coming back to, like, his initial affect versus kind of the real George, you know? Mm-hmm. But I think that initial affect can be really powerful to people. Oh, it can. I think if you can maintain that in kind of a public setting, mm-hmm. you can fleece everybody. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we've seen it a million times. Oh, yes. Yes, we have indeed. But after George died, Ed and Henry kind of didn't really seem bothered. Yeah, that's not surprising. If anything, it was one burden relieved. Yeah, for sure. At some point, though, after that, uh, Henry starts 
We're a little bit more social, getting a little bit more around town. Uh-oh. Henry. Henry. He actually met a divorced woman and kind of hit it off. Aww. Aww. He wanted to marry her. Mm-hmm. And take a job and move out and be an adult because he's in his 40s. That's yeah, okay, so we gotta let him go now. I got we you. gotta let the bird fly from the nest. Mm-hmm. Now, Henry kind of, you know, would pull Ed aside and be like, hey, buddy, mm. I want to start a life. Do you ever want to start a life? Yeah. And Ed would be like, we have a life. We have the best life. We have oh, mother. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. And kind of slowly, Henry would be like, you know, maybe your relationship with mom is kind of unhealthy. You know, maybe maybe you should branch out a little bit. Yeah. And Ed would kind of look at him really dumbfounded and be like, but she's my best friend. Wow. God, that's fascinating. <sighs> and these conversations would kind of happen more and more. Mm. Um. One thing, Henry also had kind of a mild heart condition mm. that caused some breathing and asthma struggles. It didn't seem to affect him much. Like, he still worked quite a bit, and he was doing yeah. okay. Um, but it was known. Yeah. It was kind of out there, and it might have played a role in what we're about to talk about. Uh-oh. So one day in 1945, stories change on this one. Mm. There's Ed's story, and then there's Plainfield's story. Okay. So some brush on the farm, on the Gein farm, needed to be burned away. Normal farm chore, right? Mm -hmm. Ed's story was that Henry was kind of bugging him about doing this and, you know, the, hey, we need to do this, we need to do this. And Ed finally relented and was like, okay, let's go burn the brush, whatever. This kind of parses to me a little bit because it goes along with, like, Ed apparently being a little bit lazy and a little bit kind of needing some more prompting. Sure. Other reports say that Ed insisted they needed to go do the burning and they need to go do it now, and Henry didn't understand why. Hmm. Either way, they went out to the burn this brush on the farm. According to Ed, the fire got out of hand mm -hmm. and the two got separated. When the fire dies down, Ed goes back and he can't find Henry in the brush anywhere. So he called the police to help him search. When the police get there, Ed leads them directly to Henry's body. Oh, my goodness. Now, Henry's death was officially ruled an accident due to smoke asphyxiation. As, as smoke asphyxiation. Smoke asphyxiation. <laughs> you know I mean? Smoke inhalation. Okay. <laughs> Please keep that in. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> that was so cute. <laughs> God, I hate myself. No, it's so adorable. I love it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anywho. It was officially ruled an accident. Mm-hmm. So, uh, do we think it was an accident? So, it's notable that investigations did show that there were some contusions on Henry's head. Uh -huh. um it's questionable yeah it was one of those things like 
it could go either way. Like right. it, it's possible that maybe he inhaled too much smoke. He passed out. He hit his head. Yes, or that he did this that a couple of times, which is not uncommon. Yeah, it's also believable that maybe Ed kind of blacked out and hit him in the head. Yes. So we're in 1945 right now. I just want to like ask about. So he had this like interest or obsession or whatever in Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. So is he kind of like reading about those things like in real time, like in the early 40s? Yeah. So it's apparently he had some family members still in Germany mm. that would kind of send him things. I just I'm wondering if like the, his interest in Nazi Germany could be seen as like a catalyst for something weird befalling Henry. I don't know. Connect that for me, like the the Henry stuff in Nazi Germany. Well, I just wonder if he's he's identifying with Nazi Germany because he's German. Mm-hmm. And he's hearing about these atrocities and in, in some strange way, like aligning himself to them. Yeah. I just wonder if that kind of like brings down one's guard insofar as their ability to commit an act of violence. If they think like, I'm associated like genetically or psychologically or ethnically with, with large these people scale violence. That are doing, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. It's interesting. It's just interesting timing, like for an interest like that, mm-hmm. and then knowing some of the stuff that they found in his home later. Yeah, yeah. It, I just wonder if it, if it kind of desensitized him to to I, violence. I think a lot of the stuff that he was looking at. I don't know if desensitized is quite the right word, mm-hmm. but it definitely kind of fueled that fantasy life that yeah. he was constantly going into for safety and going into for relief. Mm. You know, he is con- he is like classic escape into fantasy once you understand yeah. his life and his development. That's so interesting. Okay, so in 1945, now it's just going to be Ed and Mother. Mm-hmm. So real quick, Henry's death seems really suspect to us right now. Yeah. At the time in Plainfield, right. everybody was kind of like, Ed's harmless. And also like a farm accident mm-hmm. would be an, a fairly common way to go. I mean, we saw that with the Belgunis case too. Like nobody looked twice at her first husband's death oh, yeah. until everybody else started dying around her or the babies, you know, it just at that time, it just wasn't. It was just like you know, people go up. People die on farms. Actually, that's one of the things that uh, I think Schechter writes about. He describes just a lot of farm deaths that just happened mm-hmm. that same year. They're verifiable. We know what happened, but just to show yeah. point out how common it would be for people to go missing or people to mm-hmm. fall and injure themselves or die due to farming accidents. God, I love you, Harold Schechter. You're so <sighs> smart. He's so good. I know. Will you come on our show? Is he still alive? <laughs> yeah, I just heard him on another podcast. Well, he can't be on ours. I know. He he does guest speaking. Harold Schechter. Huh? <laughs> all right. Anyway. <laughs> um, so really all that anyone in Plainfield is thinking is, oh, poor Eddie has to live with Augusta alone. But for Ed and Augusta, this is all they ever wanted. Mm, ew. They wanted to be together. And live happily, just them in isolation. Ew. 
Now, the question I'm listeners might have, you might have, was there incest? Yeah. I genuinely don't know, and I could go either way. I think there was probably genital abuse. Yeah. If you told me that, that there was verifiable evidence of that, I would not be shocked at all. Yeah, yeah. The sexual abuse, I don't know about. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. But sadly, their time together wouldn't last very long. Really? So Augusta was in her mid to late 60s at this point, and she too was falling into ill health. Hmm. In late 1945, so around November-ish, Augusta suffered her first stroke. Uh-oh. Ed rushed her to the hospital where she was kept for several days, and apparently Ed just did not leave her side. Mm. After her release, Ed is said to have taken close and careful care of her during her very long recovery. Mm. Eh, not very long. It was a couple weeks. But Augusta did eventually recover and resumed her typical attitude toward Ed and toward the rest of the neighborhood. That she was superior to them and everybody's terrible, including Ed and... Jeez. Now, what happens next is according to Ed, and this is from his confession. Okay. So in December 1945, the two were traveling to a nearby farm to buy some feed for the last few remaining livestock that they had on the farm. The Smiths, which were the family that lived on the nearby farm, were known to be really difficult people. Hmm. Mr. Smith was known to have a short temper and be quarrelsome. He also lived out of wedlock with another woman which was Escandala, to Augusta. And she brought Ed along or forced him to go along so that Augusta wouldn't have to talk to this sinful, sinful man. Mm. When they get to the home, they drive up. Mr. Smith is out front beating a dog to death with a stick. Whoa. Yeah. Not a good person either. Fucking horrible. His girlfriend runs out of the house and is just screaming at the top of her lungs, begging him to stop. And this whole scene just disgusted Augusta. As it should. One thing we can agree with Augusta on. I don't think you're going to agree with her because you know what she was disgusted by? Uh Uh-oh. Oh, no. What? Not the dog killing. Oh. But the harlot trying to tell a man what to do. Oh. Nuh-uh. Yes. Good grief. It's like, I want to laugh, but I'm so disgusted at the same time. I don't know what to say. Everyone is terrible. Everyone is terrible. Everyone is terrible. Except for the woman trying to get him to stop beating the dog. Seriously. Whoever you are. Whoever you are, you're the only hero in the story. Seriously. Good night. Ed said that this incident of seeing this harlot yelling at a man was so stressful to his poor mother that it caused the stroke that she would suffer a week later. Oh my god. Okay. Okay, Ed. Okay, Ed. And so on December 29th, after Ed rushed her to the hospital, Augusta was declared dead from the stroke. Oh, wow. And what's interesting is that her obituary was very cold. Like, I looked it up. It is just, like, it's basically her death day, where she died, where she was going to be buried, and that she was survived by Ed. I think that was pretty common in those days, though. Henry's and George's were very sweet. Really? Yes. 
That's interesting. Okay. Because mm-hmm. I've I've looked at obits from like a you know a few generations back in my own family of people that I know were like community leaders and stuff, and they're mm-hmm. often like that, like you know, no, the- my beloved wife. Or something, but that's it. Henry's and uh, and George's were actually very kind. Interesting. And like at least included some descriptors of them as good people. Mm-hmm. Huh. I wonder if. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Her funeral was only attended by her siblings and Ed, so nobody from the community. And apparently, Ed was just a blubbering, inconsolable, wailing mess. Oh, yeah, I thought he was. Because he was alone now. Yeah. And when he finally did go back to the house, which he did do, he boarded up her bedroom and her parlor that she sat in. And those became a monument. He would never enter those rooms again. Really? Never again. And he never did. Never did. That we know of. When, When the police entered the house, they were exactly as they were left. That's fascinating. Still immaculate other than the dust. That is so interesting. So after he goes home and he's kind of alone, the people in the community really like genuinely felt bad for him. Like they knew that Augusta was a wretch and that she treated him terribly. And there did seem to be kind of some genuine efforts by women in the community to at least like invite him over, have dinner, that sort of thing. Help him out, yeah. Help him out. He actually had a nearby neighbor that he regularly had dinner with. He had people in the community that he could describe as friends. Yeah. You know, it's a big farming community. There's lots of big community projects. There's big harvest days. There's the opening of hunting season. There's lumber mills and threshing crews. And and he was always a part of these. He would work while the men worked outside. The women would be kind of inside cooking and preparing a meal for them when they kind of came back. Ed would be helping the men and tolerating their teasing and taunting. Again, he was a small guy, five foot seven, about 140, 150 pounds. Men would constantly make fun of him for being small, for being weak, for being feminine. Somebody described him as another Casper milk toast, which you should Google that because it's a fucking fascinating comic from the 50, from the 40s. Interesting. Oh, okay. Casper milk we'll do toast. That. Casper Milk Toast, okay. But yeah, it's a reference to an old cartoon called A Timid Soul. He tried to get along with them, but he just couldn't. Again, he was odd. He made weird jokes. He would ask about people that recently died. Just uncomfortable things. Yeah. And the men would try to play jokes on him. Like I said, like unknowingly getting him drunk or Mm. hiding his things and kind of being cruel. Yeah. When they would come in for the meal, the women would kind of notice just how, like, emotionally broken Ed was. It's kind of hard to hide. Yeah. He was always the last person to eat. Mm. And he was the only one that would ever clean his table setting. Interesting. Yeah. Again, he was known to be very polite. Yeah. They would be sure to always send him home with, like, extra pies and extra meals and, like, People seem to at least, the women in the community seem to at least try to look out for him. Yeah, they were trying. They were really trying. And he just, I'm sure he wasn't like rejecting it out of any kind of meanness. He just doesn't know. He doesn't know. not mother. He doesn't yeah. know what to do. He has no, he's never been like given any protocol for how to interact with literally anybody else. No, and I think it's, 
I know you and I, and I'm sure plenty of our listeners have been in this situation where you're trying to be like, go out of your way to be kind to somebody, even though they make you a little uncomfortable. Yeah. And, but you're also trying to not give them mixed messages. And it's just so odd. And I think he felt it was odd too. Later, he would go on to say people would only want him around if he could do something for them. But I also think that that was people's way of reaching out. Yeah. Of being like, hey, why don't you come join this crew with us? Hey, like my husband's going to go out hunting. Do you want to go hunting with him more? Right. Yeah. And people, (sighs) I mean, most of us like to feel useful. So if someone asks me for help with something, I feel like, like, oh, you thought of me as a helpful person. Yeah. Ed Gein and everybody else are just on different planes. I, yeah, I was just going to ask, like, did he ever have any girlfriends or, like, sexual relationships at any point in his adult life? Never. Okay. Never. One woman, after he was arrested, claimed that she was his fiance. Hmm. It was completely fabricated. That's interesting. Okay. Never had a single girlfriend. Nothing. Wow. Okay. There are a couple of comments and reports about somebody named Gus. Mm. Now, he's mentioned occasionally in like the like his confession and some other things. But it's always just that was Gus. I was with Gus. Gus was with me at the cemetery. Just somebody named Gus. Have we had any inquiry into the idea that that could be some kind of a delusion, Gus Augusta? That's my thought, that it's a delusion. That's so interesting. Because he's named in a couple of places, but there's nothing else. All that is said was that they would hang out occasionally, that he may have taken part in some of the grave robbings, and that he was in in, an asylum by the time of Ed's first murder. No, 100% he was hallucinating his mother and calling it Gus. That's what I think, too. Without a doubt. Unless somebody from Plainfield at the time knew who this person was and is going to come and, like, email us. Yeah. Gus was a delusion. Yeah. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah. I'm learning so much. Thank you. That's my... Okay, I'm I'm, I'm fulfilling my goal. Yeah. No, I'm really learning a lot right now. I'm all snuggy buggy, as I... (laughs) I really should not say as an adult, but sometimes being the mother of a toddler really gets in your head. Yeah. And I'm really learning a lot. And that's my favorite space to be in. Snuggy buggy and learning a lot. So Ed Gein was, he was also relatively close to some younger folks in the community. He had kind of a neighbor family. I believe that their father had died. And so the kids would kind of just like hang out with Ed every once in a while. He would serve as a babysitter. And the kids seemed to be pretty okay with him. He didn't feel judged or demeaned by them. So to him, it was something. Yeah. There were at least a few kids that would come into his home. Okay. Now, let me describe the state of his home after Augusta dies. Like I said, her bedroom and parlor were boarded up. Other than that, he lived in complete disarray. Mm. He moved a mattress into the dining room. He never cleaned up after himself. People complained that he was smelling worse and worse. He wasn't bathing. He would just kind of leave trash around, dishes around after he would eat. 
he would kind of just like heat up a can of beans on the fire and grab a fork and that would be his dinner. Wow. He doesn't know. Basically, like none of that was anything he was responsible for while mother was around. Never. So do we think he just like literally didn't know what to do or didn't know how to care without mother doing it? I think he didn't know how to care. Yeah. Like I, I feel like he was probably taught how to clean. Like when he was at other people's homes, he took his dish to the kitchen and would put it in the sink and he would occasionally help the women dry dishes or whatever. So he knew how. I think there was this complete apathy and anhedonia and absence of care for himself as a human. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I could see, I feel like I've seen that where like, you know, for whatever reason, people just develop an apathy for their own surroundings, right? Yeah. Like, but you know, you know how to do it in a social context, but if it's just for you, Mm -hmm. then why care, right? Exactly. Like, I don't deserve better. Yeah. I deserve to live in filth. Yeah. Yeah, for Um. sure. That that's what I read from it. Mm, yeah. Um. So Schechter's book kind of describes a few kids that would stay with him while he was babysitting kind of in this environment and in this house. One of the stories includes these two brothers. The older one would kind of hang out and read these pulp novels and comics with Ed. Well, the other one would kind of play with various like mechanical devices like a hole puncher or, you know, a pencil sharpener or whatever. You know how kids get obsessed with weird little things. Yeah. So I guess one day while they were over there, the younger one asked if he could get some paper to play with. Mm-hmm. So Ed told him, oh, go to my bedroom and there's some stuff in there. So the boy kind of went around the corner in the house and he sees these three heads hanging on the door. What? Yeah, just hanging. He described them as dried heads. They had hair on them and they kind of looked like the shrunken heads from those comic books. Oh, my God. The boy doesn't say anything while they're there. He kind of stays quiet the rest of the time. And he asks his brother while they're walking home what they were. And his brother is like, they were probably just Halloween masks. Like, get over it. I mean, you would just assume that because who has shrunken heads just hanging in their house? Yeah. And, you know, when like the parents or anybody else would be like, hey, we heard this thing. You know, you want to kind of, you know, give us a little insight. Yeah, he he would say like, oh, like they were trinkets like I have I have a family member in the Philippines and he sends me, you know, shrunken heads because racist trope warning. Yeah, because that's what the tribes in the Philippines do. Good grief. (laughs) After that incident, he kind of slowly stops letting people into his home. Mm. The kids, the local kids start kind of saying that, oh, the Gein house is haunted. And they don't want to go in. What's interesting is they said, they're like, we're not afraid of Ed. We're afraid of his house. That is interesting. And that's where we're going to stop. Ha. Right. (laughs) This is fascinating so far. Thank you. I'm really into this right now. Thank you. Good. Hey, this was so much fun to do. It was. Yeah. I I had to have all of the information. I had to know why, how, where did all of this come from with Ed Gein? And I really feel like we're getting there. Yeah, I feel like I can see the pieces starting to come together. So what is um, unique about this, we should tell people, 
the preview for next week is, hey, more Ed Gein. More Ed Gein. Yeah, because it's Mick's birthday and <gasps> we celebrate her by Yay. giving her all the latitude to discuss Ed Gein <laughs> for her birthday. <laughs> Who wouldn't want that for their birthday? Who doesn't want this for their birthday? Yeah. What do you get for the person that has everything? Free reign to talk about Ed Gein as much Fuck as they Yeah. That's what I hardly get. have everything. I'm really hoping I get a new pillow for my birthday, if that's like insight <laughs> into my life. Pillow yeah. and a cork yoga mat. <laughs> I um, just ordered a new one, actually. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, yeah, there isn't really like a, you know, preview for next week. This is the preview for next week. More Ed Gein. We will, I hope, see more of the puzzle pieces fall together. We will continue to learn about this dark character in midwestern history i hope you guys are starting to put the pieces together in the way that they kind of fell together in my head because i'm so fat this is what i want on every per okay every perpetrator from now on this is the level that i expect no no <laughs> hey you're not the boss this is a partnership so you don't i know to do my job i just i need answers and i have answers on ed Gein finally I know. But look, it, it had to take over your life for like the past three months. <laughs> Whatever. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. This is how my brain functions. I know it. I know. But we hope you guys are learning something and are having fun on this journey with us. Yeah. We will get into some of the more gory details if that's what you were waiting for next week. Yes. And I think... You know, there's also the possibility that there are people out there that don't really know that much about Ed Gein. So yeah. I think this is even like super useful if this is your first foray into yeah. this dark, dark character. And even somebody that has been around the block got some of it wrong. Exactly. So, yeah, we're all so, here. Uh, trigger warning, if anybody is going to look at the crime scene photos, just heads up, they are they're rough. Yeah, they're really, 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 really rough. Yeah. Really rough. Yeah. Just know what you're getting yourself into. It's rough. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So next week we'll be back with the probably conclusion, um, <laughs> maybe a crescendo, <laughs> at least a crescendo. Yes. We'll be back with more Ed Gein. More with Ed Gein. Yeah. All right. So that's awesome. So until then, please make sure that you follow us on the socials. Keep talking with us. Keep in touch with us. We love it. Love We're having it. so much fun. Just loving on the Midwretched fam out there, you guys. Yay, hand hearts. Yes, I would hand heart, but I am so cold. <laughs> but know that know that it's there. I'll All right, let's wrap this up so you can go get into bed and be warm. Yes, that would be great. So, uh, yeah, come back next week for more Ed Gein. I'll be excited. Mick will be excited. We'll all be super excited. So come back, get Snuggy Buggy with us, and uh, <laughs> let's get gruesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Until then, I think Snuggy Buggy and Ed Gein are the two best ways to end this. So let's go. Absolutely. So, you know, until then, be nice. Eat cheese. We love, love. you. <laughs> You don't want to judge people, but when grown men <laughs> refer to their moms as mother or their wives as mother, yeah, it just 
it just makes you get a little uncomfortable squiggle, you know? A little icky, right? Yeah, it gives you the icks a little bit, yeah.